Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio. Reporting from the basement of the Dairy Civic Center, this is CM Alexander with the news. Recently revived New Vegas has put out casting calls for nude New Vegas shows. That's right, new nude New Vegas shows. I knew new nude New Vegas news would be coming soon. Now, traffic, there is none. You're listening to Dairy Public Radio. Dairy Public Radio. Welcome back to Dairy Public Radio, a bi-weekly Stephen King Book Club podcast. I'm one of your hosts, CM Alexander, alongside Joshua Khan. Hey, everybody. And Benjamin Graham. Hey, constant readers. And today we are back with another episode of The Sit where we react to and discuss the most recent episode of The Stand. And before I pass it off to Josh, we just want to let you guys know that we are recording completely virtually today. So my audio, as usual, is going to sound pristine, <laughs> but Josh and Ben are on Zoom with me. Go for it, Josh. All right. Today we're talking about episode five, Fear and Loathing in New Vegas. And I said, oh my God, so many times yep. during this episode. How about you guys? Oh my God and gross. <laughs> Yeah, well, first of all, I've been replaying Fallout New Vegas lately, so I was slightly disappointed in how few pit boys there were, (laughs) but also I I know this is going to to disappoint you guys and possibly actively hurt CM's feelings. Oh no. But they're starting to lose, this episode lost me a little. Oh, and a big part of it is Alexander Skarsgård. His performance is not what I had hoped. Interesting. All right. Well, I can't wait to dive into that some more. Uh, but I will before we... TM did just make a face, like, <laughs> I... completely bewildered. I don't understand. <laughs> what I could possibly mean. Uh, I will tack on to your point about playing New Vegas, because I watched this episode with my wife. And the beginning, we have ourselves uh, with Dana Jurgens working on the hydroelectric dam, the Hoover Dam. And when that happened, I was like, oh, it's the Hoover Dam. And Betsy, she was like, how do you know that? And I said, oh, fall out <laughs> yeah. New Vegas. You can walk from there to Vegas in like 10 minutes. It's fine. <laughs> All right. So like I said, we start this episode off with Dana Jurgens already in Vegas, cracking out her welding torch. And Julie Lawrie coming in. How did you guys feel about uh, seeing Dana here undercover? I had to remind myself that this show's format is different. Because I was like, wait, how'd she get there so quick? (laughs) And then I remembered that it's probably been weeks. And Julie is disgusting. But in kind of like a manic cute way almost. I'm very ashamed of what I just said. (laughs) Do you guys know what I mean though? she's you're you're trying to say she's like a manic pixie nightmare girl kind of (laughs) yeah yeah i i can't have coined that phrase right (laughs) it's it's definitely what they're going for she's like has a very strange energy about her yeah she does well her energy 
and Lloyd's energy and costuming really mm-hmm. match how their personalities are. It's so wild and so over the top. I can't. Okay, so Ben, you're saying that like Lloyd, Alexander Skarsgård made you lose a boner. <laughs> yeah. Okay. For yeah, when Lloyd walks in, I, I like praised how they were characterizing Lloyd. Yeah. In, his first appearance, which I just realized this is the, only the second time we've seen Lloyd. Yeah. And, like, I was so excited to see him, like, stepping up to be a leader. And instead, he walks in looking like a fucking pi- uh, an extra on the pickup artist. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the sideways weird <laughs> bucket hat mixed with the shiny snake print suit it's also very this lloyd it (laughs) definitely it definitely uh informs the character but it's not the character (laughs) i expected him to be he has the enthusiasm of a man who's never gotten dressed before I, for one, thought all of his costume choices in this episode were amazing, and I wanted those clothes. Oh, Josh! It's just, <laughs> well, it's it's the it speaks to my loud personality, but it also speaks to the fact that I can't tell you how many times I would see something and be like, "Oh man, I bet that'd look cool," and it <laughs> certainly was not cool. <laughs> I wore a red zoot suit to prom. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> that. <laughs> I, I can picture it so clearly in my head. I should, and I also had a ponytail because my hair was down past my shoulders. I was the man. Jesus. Uh, you were Lloyd. It is insane to me that when we met in college, I thought you were cool. <laughs> <laughs> we see Julie come in and it's because Dana's been asking questions about Flag and they're going to kind of take her and show her new Vegas in style and win her over, I guess. I'm not sure what, like what the ploy is exactly here. The ploy is to, and pardon me for saying it this way, but to fuck her. Yeah. Oh, in that case, I get it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah, They're, they're trying to like dazzle her and make her comfortable for the threesome that flag ruins, (laughs) which I don't, again, I don't understand, but whatever. Holy shit. That, the fact that Lloyd and Julie are together is baffling to me. Yes. I, it makes sense Everyone's to me. Everyone's motive in this episode, especially like in the Vegas parts, just don't entirely make sense. The reason that Julie shows up to get Dana is just like, we hear you've been asking questions. Come hang out with us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's. I'm wondering if it's the whole thing is... To keep her guard down until it's time to send her up to flag, but they might as well have some fun with her while they yeah. can. Of course it is, because the the way they send her up, you're like, oh, <laughs> nobody's on her side. <laughs> they Well, so they take her out for the night. They take her to the fighting pits, which as they're going through this casino and heading out on the balcony, just the scope of debauchery in Vegas is amazing, I think. Can I list the things I remember seeing? Please. Well, the biggest one is the the gladiator pit where I wasn't prepared but definitely delighted in the level of gore. Yeah. 
that it was like a horror movie. I did enjoy that it was just a drained pool. Yeah. That yeah. They made people fight in. Full of body parts. I also saw some people riding one of those cool elevators that have they're like clear glass so you, you can see the people in the elevator and they can see you and everything in the hotel. And this guy was just nailing this woman right up against it. Yeah, was not expecting boobs. No, yeah, me neither. Got saw some some BJ action happening. A lot of expression of varied desires and toys and all kinds of. Just out in the open was the part that I was like, oh, <laughs> this is. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really was. This, this is the energy. Okay, when they uh, take Dana back up to the room with them for the the three way, uh, which I'm glad they stopped by and got her lingerie specifically for the occasion because i don't think dana was wearing that from boulder well they say they're going shopping oh wait no that was before that never mind this this sex scene well what would be a sex scene was kind of fantastic because it really set the the power dynamic between julie and lloyd this is why i kind of liked julie a little bit because lloyd's being Lloyd, which is kind of stupid and insufferable in this version of him. And she'll she's acting like, oh, although I did not like that she called him daddy, but she's yeah. acting like she's his girl. And then he turns away and she's like giving him the finger and pretending to shoot herself in the head or gag or something to Dana. Like, oh, my God, can you believe this guy? Don't worry, I got this. <laughs> I think Julie is the Lloyd. Yeah. yeah. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's yeah. different. Henry is a weird. I was gonna say a figurehead, but he's not even that. <laughs> like, I don't think there seems to be much. Okay, here's one of my problems with this episode. What I like about Vegas so much in the book is that it's just like Boulder, without knowing Flag is in charge, and without noticing the behind the scenes we don't talk about it authoritarianism and fascism you could think it's just a normal community here it's just the running man (laughs) yeah 100 i'm so glad that you brought this up because this was the primary argument that i was having with myself before we got on this meeting because i couldn't talk to you guys about it i was struggling with this too right away this Vegas atmosphere pulled me out of it because one of the things, the fav- my favorite part about Vegas in the book was the nuance. They are just mm-hmm. people. And in the original series, that's what I didn't like about that because they were so mean to Tom and everything. And in, in the book, he was forming relationships with people. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, maybe good and bad isn't so black and white. And, and that was a cool th- idea to play around with. And in this, it's just beat you over the head with it. You know, bad is bad and good is good. But then... I don't, so I don't know if this would work for you, but I feel like I could almost excuse that in the, you know, visual format because how do you express that really well, like the way it is in the book? I I don't know. Maybe I'm excusing it too hard because I love Alexander Skarsgård. Yeah. In in such, in the mini series format where you only have 10 episodes, obviously, we've said it over and over. You can't go into the full amount of detail that the book has without making the stand a Lord of the Rings-esque trilogy of movies. It's not possible to fully adapt. 
I think that's always going to be a downside to an adaptation. I mean, there are always going to be things that are done better for a, a visual format, and that's going to be the advantage to the book. And then, of course, you're going to have things that you really appreciate and miss that you're not getting in the adaptation. I, I agree with you guys. The the debauchery, the level of like hedonism and stuff, it looks really cool. It looks <laughs> like an R-rated version of the dystopian city from the Super Mario Brothers movie. It's great. <laughs> well, oh, nice. <laughs> but like storytelling wise, it just doesn't make any sense. Later on in the episode, when Dana is finally taken to flag and we get that scene, he says this line that's from the book. It's like something about people want order and he's there to make sure people have order. And I'm like, what in the fuck are you talking about? Have you been downstairs? <laughs> yeah. There's no semblance of any kind of like leadership at all. Yeah. And the only thing we got that shows any sort of that shows any sort of nuance in Vegas is the guy from the last episode who was crucified because he left because they started using slaves. Like that's the only hint you uh, we've gotten that there are not 100% evil people in Vegas. You know, I feel like that guy really did a bad job of painting us a picture of Vegas. <laughs> Let's just go through, stick with Dana's story, because there's so much to talk about instead of jumping back and forth. There's this the moment we get that comes all the way at the end of the book where Julie sees Tom and is talking about that she thinks she knows that guy. So before Dana goes face-to-face with Flag, she talks her way down into the pits because that's what Tom Cullen's job is. Fuck that. Okay, yeah. I hate that. I know you want to stick with Dana, (laughs) but Tom doesn't have much to do in this episode, and we have to talk about when he shows up, we see him in the, like... Career center. (laughs) Temp agency (laughs) that you have to go through. The lady is over-the-top evil. Mm -hmm. Which, again, missed opportunity. Make that lady just not the best person but not terrible and yeah, i think you do not, a great job not immediately say just throw him in the slave pits right and some other guy be like wait whoa 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 uh no just send him to the gladiator circle or whatever he says and my immediate thought was i swear to christ if they turn tom cullen's story into him being a post-apocalyptic mad max gladiator i quit uh, yeah i i will not watch the rest of this. <laughs> i was very scared of that happening having him just be the maintenance man the gladiator janitor he's the fluffer <laughs> yeah that's not what that well, means don't, at don't all. the fluffers also pick up the stuff on the stage oh actor? in the burlesque, in burlesque the burlesque okay. that's all i uh, know because of josh <laughs> yeah they're they're also called stage kittens or kitties he's a stage kitty. yeah i i feel like uh that we are gonna have a lot of listeners <laughs> burlesque terms as much as they know the traditional uh meaning of fluffer uh, which is a thing I don't think gladiators need. <laughs> <laughs> but what do I know? Never been a gladiator. Uh, so this moment, Dana goes up to Tom and is trying to signal him that something's going on, but we know Tom's not getting it. 
I'm sorry. Does Dana not know Tom can't read? He tells everybody. I'm going to assume so. Why would she give him a note to read? Stupidest fucking plan. Why? I mean, why would she think he couldn't read? She doesn't know Tom. Like, they're not friends. Yeah, but they're in a small community. They were in a small community together, Boulder. Wouldn't they? I guess I'm assuming that she knew him because she recognized him. And if you meet Tom, you hear his thing. And part of that is, I can't read, isn't it? No. Yep. Yeah. Does he say he can't read? No, he doesn't say he can't read in his speech. At least. Uh, I guess not. Yeah. Well, maybe she thought he could read then. Never mind. Yeah. And it just, she's trying to slip him this piece of paper that just says run on it. It's still the stupidest fucking plan. (laughs) It really is. Well, she thinks that she's going to kill Flag and she wants him out of there when she beats the big bad guy. She's not subtle about (laughs) handing him this note. Literally everyone watching, the fact that they aren't like, why is she trying to like signal something to that guy? Because she keeps going, mother, huh? It reminds me of my mother. And everyone's like, what's wrong with this lady? I really want to defend Dana here because I would probably go about this the exact same terrible way. Like in my head, I'd be like, okay, mother, say I lost my mother's bracelet and that'll give me an excuse to grab his wrist and slip him a piece of paper. No one will ever know. Why does losing a bracelet give you an ex- like the excuse to grab their wrist? Like, you touch you touch your own wrist when you're miming a bracelet. You don't usually touch someone else. Not usually, but you got to help Tom to understand. <laughs> Sometimes you need that physical prompting. From now on, I'm when we're I'm trying to explain something to you, I'm going to do all my mime on you. I, that's going to freak me out so bad. Exactly. Because <laughs> it, it's insane. I'm glad that that note got through. You tricked it's an insane me. insane idea. You tricked me. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, after this failed attempt to get Tom out of there, they take her up and basically push her out of the elevator in the penthouse. And we get the Dana flag scene, but not the way we remember it. Sam, do you want to take us through the beats of this back and forth? Yeah. So Alexander Skarsgård is standing there, you know, just killing it. (laughs) And he's drinking. Not emoting at all. He's drinking a white Russian and he's like, we have milk. Like he's so proud that they have fresh milk. No, I think it's just milk. No, he is not drinking a white Russian. He is drinking milk on ice. Yes. Fine. (laughs) I actually like. That's an insane thing. I thought he was drinking a white. How do you guys know it wasn't a white Russian? Because he just kept talking about the milk. Yeah, you would. You you could put milk in that. Because if you were asking someone if they wanted a white Russian, you would say, "Want a white white Russian? The milk is fresh." But he asks, "Do you want some milk? The milk is fresh." (laughs) You know what? I don't drink milk unless it's in a white Russian. So I just assumed. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, he offers her a drink, and she just wants a beer, and he's disappointed for some reason that she doesn't want his fresh milk. And so, (laughs) come on, man. She's also not necessarily being subtle here. She has some scissors in her hand, sort of tucked not in her sleeve, but just on the outside of her sleeve. Yeah, she walks out of the elevator holding them in her hand, (laughs) hiding them from people in front of her, not the crowd of people in the elevator directly behind her. (laughs) 
And they're having this conversation. Like you guys said, he's trying to explain that he's bringing order and he reminds her of the guy who kidnapped her and raped her and abused her. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm taking care of people like that. I'm I'm making the world safe from them, which is it seems like he's just providing a safe harbor for people like that yeah once again complete nonsense he has murder (laughs) pits downstairs (laughs) yeah and i i did really like that we skipped over this but as he's um on the big television screen announcing to the crowd and while he's announcing you can still hear him going but he turns his his image turns and looks at dana that was really cool cool I, i did like that so anyway, they're having this conversation and he's she's like, okay, so you're going to kill me. Just, you know, get it over with. What are you going to do to me? He's like, no, no, no. I'm just going to let you go. And she's like, why does it sound like there's a but? And he says, all you have to do again, like in the book, is tell me who the third person is. And she very poorly, because nobody can lie. <laughs> I mean, that's the truth. Nobody can lie well. So she lies terribly and acts like she doesn't know who the person is. And then she gives up and she's like, it must be driving you fucking nuts that you can't see them and you can see everything else. And then she stabs him in the neck with the scissors. And I didn't think she was going to thrust them into his neck and he was going to bleed. So that was actually cool. I was a little disappointed it didn't turn into a banana, but that's not the tone of this show. (laughs) I loved it because as fans... I was waiting for I was like, all right, watch this. It's going to be a banana. And then it's, the blood shoots out of his neck. And I was like, oh, shit. And he falls down. Yeah. The, uh, as a subversion, I, I do enjoy that. The banana thing was always goofy. Yeah. I, I do like he's, you know, he, he acts it out. He acts like he's hurt and he's dead. And, you know, of course, this as the audience, I feel like you're screaming like, nope. That's not, you didn't just do that. It's not that easy. But Dana, of course, doesn't know really the extent of his power and and what he is. She doesn't understand that. And so he jumps back up and he has this line about, oh, I I learned how, you know, I was just reacting to it. You did. You were great. That's why I was great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, he name drops that he fucked Stanislavski. Yes. (laughs) I fucking loved that. And then he's, he's gonna get it out of her but she's not gonna let him do that she busts her beer bottle so it's a good thing she wanted a beer and not a tiny little glass of uh, a white russian and uh she plunges that sucker into her neck and dies brutally that was really awesome that was i thought that was a great way to echo the death in the book in just a more manageable way. i did kind of miss i liked in the book that lloyd was there when flag was thwarted by her and he like goes crazy after and is being a psychopath. But that's not really Alexander Skarsgård's portrayal of Flag. He's more of a, a cool head, you know, kind of laid back evil guy. He's just, he seems disappointed, but he just sits down like, all right, well, that didn't work. Yeah, he goes for this really cool acting technique of not reacting at all to something. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with CM on this one. I, I enjoyed that his his reaction to like and he gets all fired up and we see like the cool effect they do to his eyes they didn't change him into a weird horned monster which i liked that was good <laughs> and it just goes from him being so enraged she kills herself and he's like ah shit and just walks off. 
I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the the dismissal of her death by flag. His whole performance is just so one note. It's his whole performance is look. I I look very attractive. I'm a very handsome man. It's the only note you need. And I'm vaguely, vaguely menacing. I would have a real problem in Vegas because if he did those eyes at me, I'd be like, oh. Oh, gross. (laughs) The book flag is manic. He's Mm -hmm. like so quickly shifting between like this literally terrifying monster and cool surfer dude. You can't predict how he's going to act from one second to the next. Alexander Skarsgård you can predict how he's going to act from one second to the next, and it's sexy and cool. No, yeah, okay, Ben, <laughs> I, I definitely feel you there. I there's not been really a thing that Flag's done. No outburst, no change in attitude that's surprised me. Yeah, he screamed once, and his eyes turned into black light galaxy poster. So, and that's it. For the record, you guys want him to be more cartoonish. Yes. Okay. I, I wouldn't be against that. I just understand why they might not want to go that route, I think. It, it would just be a stark contrast to the rest of the show, which is very down-to-earth and portrayed fairly realistically, minus the fuck town that is Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I think that would be good it, to have a flag that seems otherworldly. I would appreciate it both ways, I think. If if yeah, it was more we'll cartoonish, I'd dig it. He gets. Speaking of down to earth though, because Boulder Lingerie Free Zone is just trucking <laughs> along. <laughs> is everything Fran's fault? In the whole world? Probably. If Fran had not asked Larry to break into Harold's home and see if he sees anything, but she doesn't know what. When Nadine comes to get Larry to save her from flag without actually telling him anything useful about what she needs he can't and i think his initial hesitation is because he has this job to do and if he didn't have that job to do maybe just the surprise of that moment he would have given in i don't think so because he was very adamant about the the way she basically begs him to have sex with her right now i can't explain anything but you have to have sex with me right now where he's like that this isn't you like i I want you but i don't want this (laughs) you it's weird mm-hmm. so i think larry still would have okay not done it i mean that scene happens pretty similar to the book if i remember correctly because he she comes to him and his reasoning is like no you're acting very strange and this isn't you know in the book he's like i, I love you or whatever but this isn't you well no he he has a girlfriend in the book he's with someone yeah. else yeah and joe is with them yeah. I'm a little afraid for Joe that he's still with Nadine. Yeah. So one of the things this episode did that I really, really loved, we get some sex. We get more sex in this episode than we got in Vegas because Nadine's having a sex dream. Like we come <laughs> up on her just moaning in bed and it's it's some good moaning. It's some solid moan work. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> this, is, this is making me extremely uncomfortable. Chuck, there's, there's a point. There's a point. Okay, there so, better be because you gave me shit over just appreciating Alexander Skarsgård's body <laughs> earlier. Yeah, 
Uh, so we are in her room, then it, we flash like inside her head and she's having a sex dream about Larry. I thought that that's great. We haven't really gotten a lot of that, that back and forth relationship. It's just kind of been implied. Mm-hmm. And then the dream is interrupted or hij- hijacked, I should say, by Flag. He is saying that her, the old witch's powers are failing and he can see her now and that she's going to come to him soon because she belongs to him. Shame there's nothing on her. she can do about it. Shame on her for not taking advantage. You go from a sex dream with Larry. Great. Like, stay there. Or if it gets hijacked by Alexander Skarsgård, okay, second sex dream. Luckiest <laughs> woman uh, on earth. That is, that is until <laughs> we leave her dream world and we see her back in bed and now the moaning that she's doing in bed is like scared and painful Mm. i actually really liked this scene though when she jumps from the dream with larry to being with flag in the desert because she's angry with him she says you gave me to harold and you can tell in that moment that she and you you kind of knew this they did we talked about this last time they did the actors did a good job of portraying disgust and confusion with each other. She does not like Harold at all. I don't think she can stand Harold. And she's upset that she has to deal with him in this way. I I just thought her dilemma was cool. And it's what led her ultimately to Larry's door then a little later on. Yeah. Nadine and Harold have (laughs) anti-chemistry. So uncomfortable every time they're in the same room. You know who else I kind of think has anti-chemistry? And it could just be still me in my head. Stu and Franny. I love Stu. Franny, I, I don't know. I don't know. Fran is, once again, they're not just not giving her anything to do. They're taking stuff away from her that she does. The fact that she gets Larry, who I just have to point out how uncomfortable it was that they're like, let's get one of the two black characters in the show do break into this house yeah yeah Devin and i, I talked about that, that too. too the the fact that she goes to lair and be like you break into harold's house instead of her doing it that's a big franny moment that's yeah. a really cool thing that gives her character like a really important part of the story and she's just like, nah, I got to throw a dinner party. <laughs> oh, God. Le- okay, let's talk about this dinner party. Franny gets Harold to their house. She walkies Larry so he can break in and find evidence of something. And that dinner scene is <laughs> gets so uncomfortable. It is the most awkward dinner scene ever. Once again, Harold crushes it the guy that plays harold uh, he's holding the show together for absolutely me. killing it they're having a normal conversation and he brings up something a memory from his childhood when amy his sister and franny took him to the fair or something and he went to this ice cream shop and wanted to get an ice cream and so he's telling the story and they're all laughing about it and he's asking her questions about it about it and then he's like well that's weird because i wasn't there you never took me anywhere with you guys and it's, it's this really awkward moment. And it's such a pointless, like, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> what What was his goal with this story? To be like, to I guess to show Steve, like, yeah, look how much of an asshole your girl <laughs> I guess. 
so this whole episode, like we get the they play off Teddy's death as a suicide, and you know Harold is now cast as the grieving best friend. Kind of, he's like doing. No, yeah, yeah he's that's, like that's the role he like when he goes there and he's you know when he's like oh yeah that one guy died that one guy died so things are weird now and you can see Stu's reaction like that was kind of flippant. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah. Like, it's it changes so dramatically from mm. the very beginning of the episode. Oh, he's I like see what you're saying. Forcing, yeah. he's forcing tears. He's got all of this, uh, this pain that he's portraying, and then he's as the episode, it, it, I'm saying at the very, very beginning, the first time when he first like, hears, yeah, about, when he's yeah. like, maybe I should finish the theater because that's what he wanted. And he gets really upset and says he took the coward's way out. Like he does, he does this hard sell because he's been practicing. Mm-hmm. Like they, they basically imply that he's been Nadine's been coaching him and having him rehearse this. But every oh, came- unrehearsed moment is where he says flippant, stupid shit like that. Yeah, it, I, it came across to me the entire time as extremely insincere, which I thought was a good thing. Yeah, uh, I liked that performance. I think but it, yeah, I thought the whole time everyone was like, uh, "What the fucks with this guy?" Like Larry definitely his, was. Yeah, I I didn't believe Harold's grief for a second, but I didn't think you were supposed to. I bought it at the beginning, but every moment on, it just got more and more lax. Which I think is the way it was intended to be. It was. He makes it so awkward, though, that he yeah. he's like, oh, you know, sorry, the wine is getting to me. And he asks to use the bathroom and he goes upstairs. And the minute he leaves, I, I wanted to see Stu and Fran kind of do that thing where you, you're you like mouthing the words to the other person. Like, holy shit, was that? What the <laughs> fuck is happening? Like, yeah. can we get rid of him? <laughs> Did you guys expect nanny cam? Dude. I, I, that totally that was, surprised me. That was wild. Yeah, when he goes upstairs, he sneaks into Fran and Stu's bedroom, and it's, like, used to mirror, because it keeps cutting back and forth between him sneaking around their house and Larry sneaking around Harold's house, which is just a cool juxtaposition. But he, like, stares at this weird stuffed animal that Fran has, and I'm like, this has to be important somehow. But at the end of the episode, the reveal that he somehow converted it into a nanny cam, I it made me laugh, honestly. I'm surprised. So I was like, how, how do you manage to do that? I couldn't tell what he was looking at. There's so many things on the desk. And at first I was thinking, is it her journal that he's going to swipe? But that'd be pretty obvious. Like she'd go up and notice right away. And so I was trying to look for something missing that he took. And so the camera caught me off guard because I wasn't focused on the teddy bear. But I, when I did see it, and it, then it cuts to him in his basement with his monitors. And you see that he has his own house rigged up too. And he's watching Larry walk through from earlier. I, I, was, I was a little bit shocked. I was like, well, they just got electricity back on. But Harold's already got like a security system in place. And he's bugged someone else's house. And they should have been nicer to him. He's useful. <laughs> <laughs> also, I think uh, Harold knew about that teddy bear. And my theory was he basically swapped it out because he goes upstairs to the bathroom but he takes his jacket with him so i assumed he had he's like swapped them out 
How do you know about the teddy bear? Well, we don't know how she got that. We don't know where she got that Maybe from. Maybe he they picked gave it up her on the way cam. and he saw it's it. Also, such a weird looking teddy bear. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That, that thing is like, oh, I'm going to find the exact copy of this bizarre looking stuffed animal. Is uh, I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was funny. Uh, Sam, did you enjoy the Annie Wilkes nod in this episode? Oh, with the axe? What now? With, no, with the chess set. Oh, the moving the piece like the penguin? Yeah. Yeah. I did not catch that. Yeah. I do love that. In in the panic, Larry knocks over his chess set and like frantically puts it back together. And then, yeah, he just, the scene when Harold looks at it, he just looks down and he slowly turns the direction <laughs> that the knight is facing. And I was like, oh, I bet CM lost her fucking mind. <laughs> and then uh, the, the last big thing for this episode, Mother Abigail's gone. Also, she likes to leave the top of the piano open for the youngsters. Huh? Was that anything? That has to be yes. foreshadowing. I don't know what the fuck for. See, I thought she but was... But it has to be. So she... Okay. Nadine's looking for Joe because he's not at their house. And she finds him at Mother Abigail's. And he's playing piano. And so she and Mother Abigail have this brief exchange that's very kind of cryptic. And Mother Abigail's basically like... Trying to tell her she she doesn't have to be in the situation she's in. Nadine is talking about, you know, she doesn't play piano, but they had one in one of the foster homes she was in. And that to her was a sign like maybe this place will be different, but it was just the same as all the others. And Mother Abigail talks about how she can't play piano either, but she lets the kids come over and play and she leaves the top open so that they can see like what's happening. And I took that as her explaining to Nadine because the top is open right there. Open your eyes, look at the consequences of your actions. Oh, I like that a lot. That's a very interesting read. I just thought they were trying to set up something because there's a very dramatic shot from inside the piano of Nadine looking at the inner workings of the piano like she's getting an idea for how to ask, are they going <laughs> to set the bomb up in the piano? Well, That's maybe. Be so stupid. <laughs> I liked the subtext, though. I feel like Mother Abigail's whole conversation with her was subtext because I think mm-hmm. she knows Nadine doesn't belong there and she's not loyal. Yeah, I, I like your reading a lot more because the way I took it was very dumb. God, there, so yeah, there there were a lot of I don't know, man. I I really enjoyed this episode. I thought there were a lot of really cool things. What do you guys think we're gonna get next episode? Give me the fucking trash can, man! I swear <laughs> to Christ, I'm losing my patience. Television show. I am still enjoying it, but you better give me my character that I love. I'm so shocked we haven't gotten to him yet. For somebody who plays such a major role in the finale, to not have dropped any information about him is crazy. Maybe because he's so important at the very end. And then maybe my prediction will come true where Mother Abigail will play a larger role at the end. So maybe those two characters are going to be combined and it'll be like a Mother Trash Can. (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh God! Uh, for next episode, I think we, uh, I think we're gonna get to see Judge Ferris's death. That's the only thing I can really pin for next episode that I'm sure we're gonna get. Yeah, it's a hinted out that she's still alive. Yeah, I would really be upset 
if we literally got two lines from a character that was from those two lines so good. Yeah. Well, Ben, for your sake, I hope we also get Trash Can Man. That'll be my prediction. Maybe uh, this thing that's already done will change because of the force of our combined wills. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I, I hope it does that thing a lot of prestige TV shows do where it'll just completely take a break from the normal flow of narrative and we're going to get one entire episode that is just the trash can. I'm from yeah. the, the start of the plague to him arriving in Vegas, just one episode, hmm. nothing but trash can. That's what I want. That is it for this episode of Dairy Public Radio. As always, thank you for listening. Join us next time for The Sit, where we talk about the next episode of The Stand. For Joshua Kahn and Benjamin Graham, I'm CM Alexander, reminding you, we all have choice until we don't. Hey everyone, CM Alexander here. Thank you for listening to The Sit, Part 5. We hope you enjoyed it. Here are some more bits and an outtake from the end of our episode. Hope you enjoy. Yeah, without it... No, what are you eating? <laughs> Don't eat a Band-Aid, you idiot. That's um, probably going to keep that. <laughs> sorry. We are recording remotely and my cat, Jellybean, uh, full <laughs> name, Jellical Bean Graham, uh... <laughs> Is trying to eat a band-aid. Uh, she's dumb. For Joshua Khan and I'm and I'm Benjamin Graham. That's what I almost said. <laughs> and this is Derek. <laughs> Derek Public Radio. I haven't said Derek Public Radio in a long time. Okay. That's all for now, listeners. Goodbye.